Welcome to Slackerwood. This is Debbie Serta, and in this podcast, I interviewed Beth Grant about her recent role in Herpes Boy, Extract, from local filmmaker Mike Judge, as well as we talked about Donnie Darko and her thoughts on technology and its impact on film. Thanks for listening. It's so great to have you here. Um, Thank you. It's so great to be here. Thanks for supporting Slackerwood. Yes, I met some of your cohorts. I said, Slackerwood! So now this is the first film that you've actually, that you've produced, is that correct? Co-produced. I produced a documentary, oh gosh, around 1987, 88. And I helped produce, uh, I think they gave me the title executive producer another film, but this is the first one that I felt like I really contributed. But I still didn't do the hard work. I mean, I did all the fun work, like helping cast it and giving notes and looking at many different cuts and talking things over and kind of guiding in that way and being the wise sage, which is questionable at best. (laughs) But I enjoyed it. Well, And then why why this project? Well, uh, Byron Lane. I mean, he is... Is the sweetest person and friend of mine who's a producer found him on YouTube and just fell in love with him and thought that it could be a movie because he created this character because he's an actor he created this character Herpes Boy and he had made a web series and so John met with him and said gee I think you know you should try to write a feature and maybe I can help you and so uh, Byron wrote the movie and then they called my husband and I and asked if we would play his parents and I said well let's have a reading and we did and it went really well and um, then I didn't hear anything else about it which is you know frequent (laughs) in the business people call you or write parts for you and then a few months later uh, Byron called and he said well I've got a a producer a director we've got the money would you still like to do it and would your husband like to do it and so again we had another reading and I suggested a few people and off to the races. But the real answer to the question is because this, to me, this film has so much heart. And we all come from families. I mean, they always use that expression, dysfunctional family, but I don't know. I think that word is misleading because we are functioning. I mean, what defines a family? I don't know. I think when people are working together as a team, then that's a family. And uh, so I love the family part of this. I love the mother in the wheelchair living with me. And then my husband's clearly an authoritarian figure. And uh, just, you know, you can see his blood pressure rising from the very beginning of the movie. And then his brother's a kind of a jock doofus. And you see this kid that I think is kind of all of us in life feeling like, where the heck do I belong and am I the only one that has a brain in their head I mean we all have those thoughts so uh and he finds his way it's his journey you know he's our hero and he takes us on this journey and he's very lovable and kind and the first time he came to my house he brought cookies and muffins and he's very much like the character I think so I fell in love with Byron Lane you know you have this someone who's made the YouTube who made some videos and then to come around to having this uh, kind of like lack of anonymity or whatever by having a film, you know, surrounding it. Yeah, and he and then he doesn't like, uh, you know, he wants to be anonymous. He never intended to be a, a YouTube star, but his cousin comes to town and then she gives him the handle of Herpes Boy and then the, his videos take off and he becomes wildly popular. But he's a reluctant uh, YouTube star. <laughs> of course, it's not really YouTube, it's a made-up. Your character as the mom... She's very much like me. I mean, I was a hippie, you know, in the late 60s and 70s, and I still am kind of. I mean, my, I, I really love, you know, metaphysical stuff. I'm always reading self-help books. In fact, I'm doing right now a 
uh, boot camp, spiritual boot camp, and writing and journaling every day and meditating. And I wear a lot of all the necklaces and bracelets and costumes are mine. All these flowy dresses and scarves and things that's all drawn from my wardrobe. So it's probably one of the few characters that I've played pretty close to myself. And I'm a mom. I have a 16 year old daughter who I love so much. And so I think playing a mom with a big heart, mom is what I'm doing in this and bringing that part of myself to the part. So it was a lot of fun to be that natural and to play it so real. Because I frequently do very extreme characters. I don't know if you know my word, but I I tend to kind of like to disappear. And I like to be anonymous. I like to fly under the radar and hide out my characters. And my biggest thrill is when I meet somebody and they love me from one movie and then as we're talking, they realize I was in a different movie and then a different movie. And you can see the windows of realization opening. And it just thrills me to death that they didn't recognize or realize it was the same actress. You are one of those character actors, which is not meant at all to be, you know, to minimize the roles you've had. Not it's been that, a character actor. You know, I think Johnny Depp's a character actor. How different are his characters? They really are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I admire him a lot. And Brando was like that. And But there are not a lot of leads that do it. A lot of... A lot of leads pretty much do themselves, which I admire because I think that, like, I, Herbie's Boy was a challenge for me. I mean, it wasn't easy peasy to play myself or to play that close to myself. She's not exactly me anyway, but so I admire that quality. I think that's very brave to bring who you are, but I like hiding out. The last film I saw you in was excellent. And your interaction with Lydia Porto. Oh, I love Lydia. She was just a lifesaver. She um, actually... I hate to get heavy, but my mom was actually passing away while I was shooting extract. And I looked at the schedule that week. They said it's not looking good, that she's going to make it. It could be hours, days, maybe a couple weeks. We don't know. Maybe there'll be a miracle. Anyway, I looked at the schedule, and I was in every scene every day. So there was nothing I could do. And I didn't want my judge to know about it. And so Lydia became like my soulmate. I mean, I just cried in her arms. I prayed with her. I would get a bulletin. My husband would call and give me more information, and I would go to her, and I would talk. Oh, she's just an angel. I said, I, there's no way I can ever repay her for what she did for me that week because I don't know how I could have gotten through it without her. Talk about working with Mike Judge. Oh, I love Mike Judge. Um, I was asked to come in and do the voice of Hank's mom on King of the Hill when uh, Tammy Wynette passed away. And I did a few episodes, and then I did, and then they asked me to do some other little voices, and then I didn't do Tilly again until the last couple of years, and I came in and I did a few more episodes. I don't know the total number, but I love all those people. I mean, from Mike on down, John Altshuler, all those guys were just fantastic. And then when I came in to audition for Extract, uh, Mike and I really hadn't met that much because frequently he wouldn't be there. He would be in Austin, and he would do his voice for the table reach from a speaker in the middle of the uh, table. So we really hadn't gotten to know each other. I think we'd met maybe once or twice. And uh, so then he kind of recognized me. He said, did you do a King of the Hill episode? I said, yes, I've known you. you know, so it was a reunion. And he was just great to audition for because it was more like we were rehearsing he would have an idea and ask me a question, and then I would have an idea and ask him a question, and then we'd try it, and then we'd talk about it, and then I'd try it again, and it was so much fun. I left there that day, and I called my husband. I said, you know, I, if I didn't get it, I just had the greatest afternoon creating with Mike Judge. I mean, how bad is that? And um, so I was so thrilled that I got the part, and I just love working with him, and he's 
very uh, organized and knows what he wants and um, just such a cool, neat, friendly guy that he has a very happy crew and the producers that he works with are, you know, on the team and part of his team and so it was just a lovely, lovely experience. I just love him. He's very funny. And we came up with this character that's based on one of my mother's uh, secretaries from the past named Loray McLemore. And uh, so sometimes if I, if he would want to encourage me, he would say, Loray McLemore, you know, just to kind of remind me to, about the character. And he had this one thing that I think a friend of his had told him about, um, about this woman who used to sit at work and have her hand, arms crossed and shake her head. And so he would always remind me to do that, you know. And he was so cute doing it. He could do it pretty good, to tell you the truth. He would have been good in the role. <laughs> but it was just a blast. And Lydia, we had talked about Lydia, how much fun she was. We we felt like we operated as one character. That's great. Oh, we had a good time. And, uh, Sandy, Sandy. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I've done four movies with her. Aren't I lucky? That's wonderful. I did, uh, I say I, we did Speed Together, the movie, not the drug. And uh, just loved her immediately. We didn't know who was going to be doing that role. We hadn't heard yet. And uh, we had a table read. And... Um, she walked in, and I literally fell in love. It was just, I just thought, who is this at that time? You know, who is this girl? And, of course, now she's a producer, and she's, you know, everything, developing projects, and so much more than just a young actress. She's really developed beautifully. And then we did A Time to Kill, and then we did Making Sandwiches, which she wrote, directed, produced, and starred in. And I had a crazy character, and she said... I want you to just take it out as far as you can. I promise I'll bring you back. So I don't know. I think I stayed out there pretty far. <laughs> but, but it was a lot of fun. And Matthew, of course, was in it and co-produced. And So you've had very diverse characters, and you've been involved in very diverse projects, such as Donnie Darko. What were your feelings about just kind of that cult following that's come from that film or just the staying power of it? It is amazing. I mean, it keeps growing. Because the older kids show it to the younger kids, show it to the younger kids. So there's always this new generation coming up. And like my daughter's friends didn't know about it for a long time. And then they started turning 14, 15. And her friends started, she had to go to school to pick up and say, Was your mother in Donnie Darko? And so it was funny because before that, no one had noticed. And, I, and then you notice the younger kids start to do it. Somebody, an older brother or sister shows it to them. I think that Donnie Darko is like a... Bible story almost or a myth and that the kids look at it like in the old days people went to Sunday school and you know read Bible stories and now movies are our myths and tell us our stories and help us ask the big questions in life and I think it's a very brilliant myth. He makes such a big decision at the end about do I sacrifice my life for someone else or not. That's a huge question. And what is life? What is death? What is time? What does it all mean? All those questions. And then there's a lot of humor, family humor. So, But I think that probably the reason that they're drawn to it is that decision at the end somehow. That we all have to make a decision to be responsible for ourselves and to pay attention. But he is time traveling. You know, in the original cut, um, they cut a scene but they put it back in in the director's cut where um, the psychiatrist tells him that it's a placebo, that he's not schizophrenic. So I think that's an important point. So When you're looking through to decide, is this a project you want to take on, what are some of those aspects are you looking for? Well, a lot of it for me is based on instinct. And sometimes I get very strong instincts from a couple of pages. Uh, I know with Rain Man, um, I knew immediately 
that I wanted to do it. I knew immediately that it was a huge film. And I even will say that I predicted it would get the Academy Award for Best Picture. And it was based on um, the scene that I did. I was the farm mother at the house when he wanted to watch People's Court and I had all these kids. And in that four or five pages, there was a beginning, middle, and end, and so much heart. You know, I, I felt for these brothers that were so different, and one had a very specific goal, and the other, you know, was had a very specific goal, too. I guess one wanted to make money and sell Lamborghinis, and the other one wanted to watch People's Court and have everything in order. And you could just feel the heart-wrenching of that. And then the mom with all the kids and then wanting to watch cartoons and I don't know it was just very touching to me so I did make that prediction I also predicted a country for old men I'd always wanted to work with the Coen brothers and I had loved Miller's Crossing it was always my favorite and I love Fargo but I felt that their masterpiece was yet to be you know that they were going to do a masterpiece and when I got that I said this is it this is it and I know this character she's like my grandmother and I know exactly what I want to do with her so that was based on very little, but instinct. Again, you know, I was talking about myth with Donnie Darko. That's the thing about No Country for Old Men. I mean, that's nothing but, you know, good versus evil, God versus the devil fighting over the soul of every man, and life goes on. Evil goes on. I mean, some people were upset by the ending, but I love that he lives and goes on because that's what happens in life. It's a day at a time, and we have momentary reprieves from our voices and we we do die and we do go on with our ancestors I love that Tommy Lee Jones dream that he had that far his dad was carrying that far I love that and so I like those big things I guess I'm Rain Man, Donnie Darko, No Country Man that's three pretty powerful movies I've been lucky to be in and I've done a lot of other good ones too Heart most importantly everybody says story and I know story is really important, but that's not it for me. For me, as an actress, it's a, it's heart, character, what's my role in the play, in the world of the play, how can I be of service, how can I help these artists, these filmmakers tell their story, what can I contribute. Sometimes I read something and I like it, but I don't see what I can contribute. And I literally have said to my agent, you know, it's not that the part's small or this or that, I just don't think I know what to do with it. And sometimes I'll go in and talk to the filmmakers. Little Miss Sunshine, which I love. I mean, there's another great movie. I mean, how lucky am I? Lucky for character actors to have done all this. But I didn't, I read it and I liked it and I thought it was good, but I didn't know the filmmakers. They were first time filmmakers and I was working out of town. So I said, I just won't be able to get in. And then um, they called me back and then my. Uh, agent said, well, can you talk to him on the phone? And I said, sure, absolutely. So we talked on the phone, and I was afraid of the tone. I was afraid that if they made it real sticky, that pageant, that it would be over the top. That was my concern. As soon as I got on the phone with him, I said, I really, you know, if I do her, I really would want to make her very real because I know those people. And they have a very, they're trying to be in control. They're handling all the stuff. They have business to do. It's very real for them. And they said, oh, yeah, that's absolutely what we want to do. We've done all this research, and we have documentary films. And when I heard that, well, by the end of the conversation, I was begging for the job. I went from being not sure if I wanted to do it to literally saying, oh, I would love to do it. Oh, I hope that I hope this works out. <laughs> so it's funny how quickly I changed. And I just finished a film in um, 
Arizona called Valley of the Sun, and it's uh, Johnny Whitworth plays a porn star who goes has a breakdown and goes he wants to give it up, and he goes back to live with his parents who live in a retirement community at like Sun City or something, and uh, it's really funny. But when I read it, I thought, God, how are they going to shoot this so and so? But once again, I talked to the director, and once I was assured of the tone of the piece, and then I knew who the director of photography was, another Texan, you know, um, uh, Jeffrey uh, Kimball. And then I knew Barry Corbin was in it, and Barry and I started together in New York, and he's a Texan. So I figured they were going to do it the right way. So, and I loved it. I had a blast. I like the moments, yeah. But that's one of the reasons I've had a hard time writing. I write, too, and they always say to me, you know, you need more story. Or one script I had, they said, well, it seems like a sequence of events rather than a story. And I thought, well, gosh, that's what interests me, you know. So I've had to really learn how to tell a story and how to, you know, bring in uh, obstacles for them to overcome and add characters that will propel her journey or illustrate her journey, you know. Uh, I guess I like a lot of European films in that way. I don't mind a slow-moving movie that's just a series of events with a, a small, gentle story. That doesn't bother me, but, uh, you know, I want to get them produced, so I'm trying to learn how to structure better. Do you think you would ever actually get behind the camera to sort of be the one to have that sort of vision on you film? You know, I would have said no up until about six months ago. I would have said absolutely not. I have no desire to direct because it's just so hard. It's such a huge job. I mean, you might as well be president. And it takes so much of your time. But this one piece that I've been working on for 12 years, originally Todd Holland was supposed to direct, and I still love Todd. He's one of my best friends. But now that I've kind of fixed the script and worked on it for so long, and I know that it works, now I'm kind of wanting to direct it. So I don't know that I will, but I thought gosh, maybe I've been a liar all these years. Maybe I really have always wanted to direct it. Never. I directed um, commercials and promos for television, and I directed some theater in New York, but I thought I was done with it. I didn't think I wanted to do it. I've just started to think, and then I thought about taking this other little short script I have and taking it to AFI Women's Project and see about doing it there. And so you are the first to know that I'm considering it. <laughs> what are your words of advice for women wanting to get into filmmaking? Well, I would say do not listen to old white men. <laughs> but, I mean, I have heard, and I will not say who, I heard a very respected a director and writer I love so much. It seems like right now is a very exciting time for people. It's uh, with the new technology. We can all get something made. And it's in the hands of the people. And there's a revolution afoot. And things are changing much the way that when radio was going out and television was coming in and so women have the best shot they've ever had to have their voices heard and but the naysayers the people that have been in power they seem to be so angry and they're all blaming Hollywood and they're saying Hollywood doesn't want us and Hollywood this and corporations and blah 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 maybe all of that's true I guess it's true but it doesn't have anything to do with you telling your story picking up a camera and shooting it and editing it and trying to get it distributed. Maybe you sell it to iTunes. You can do something cheap enough now that it may not go the normal distribution route. You know, I don't think that Herpes Boy will be the normal distribution route. I think we'll hopefully we'll get some buzz and we'll do some digital releasing and then we'll go to features and DVD, maybe someplace like Stars. 
I think it'll be non-traditional. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Miramax is going to come along and send us out on our way, but I have a feeling it'll be non-traditional. And we can do this now. It's in the hands of the women and the people of color and people that never had a chance before. We have a chance. And so I think that's why I'm actually interested in directing now for the first time, because I feel like, oh, I could do this. I could get a red camera. I can rent it. I can call my friends. They will crew for me. I can tell my little softball story that I want to shoot so badly. Maybe I'll come to Austin and shoot it. That would be wonderful. I thought about it. I really did. I mentioned to uh, another woman who um, I might co-direct with. I said, you know, we might could shoot it in Austin. Because since I shot the rookie here, I, I know the locations pretty well around here. And I love the city. And I stayed here at the Stephen Austin. And I'd go to Whole Foods. And, you know, I'm comfortable here. That's and I have friends here. So. We would definitely love to have you here in Austin. It was Austin definitely a girl's to- story. Thanks so much.